Welcome to the Root of Our Health podcast, a holistic health and wellness podcast for women over 40. I am your host, Elizabeth DiCristofano, a functional medicine health coach, and each week I will provide bite-sized tips, knowledge, and insights, along with experts and thought leaders, so we can all learn how to get to the root cause of our health as we dance into the second half of our lives. Please keep in mind, this podcast is for educational purpose only and should never be used as a replacement for any medical diagnosis or treatment. Thank you for joining me. Now let's dig in. Hello, ladies, and welcome back to another episode of The Root of Our Health. Today is part two of disordered eating for women over 40. This will actually be a shorter episode, but one that I think will be very impactful. But before I start, ladies, have you heard of parasympathetic nervous system? Well, if not, this is actually the calming center of your brain. And I have put together a free cheat sheet on how to reset your parasympathetic nervous system. Tis the season, and that means the holiday stress. If you haven't listened to my previous episode on the topic of holiday stress, then please do so. However, I have also created a one-pager that is handy to whip out when, let's say, you are at a holiday party and feel that stress coming on from a family member. Or if you are at a store and nowadays the stores are packed and the line is longer than a Trader Joe's line during COVID, or if you are at home buying gifts online and uh, all of a sudden the site crashes, just pull out this handy one-pager that lists six ways to reset your parasympathetic nervous system and you'll feel the stress melt away. Please go to the link that I have provided in the show notes and sign up to receive this must-have cheat sheet That will save your holidays. Once you are signed up, you will be on my email list, but no worries. You will only receive exclusive health and wellness information and stay up to date on this podcast. I will never sell your information, so you are in trusted hands. Now let's get back to the episode. Like I said, this is the second part of a two-part episode talking about disordered eating and disordered eating specifically for women over 40. Now, I want to recap the first episode. We talked a little bit bit about statistics of women over 40 who have disordered eating, what disordered eating really is, and, you know, versus eating disorders, the causes and triggers, warning signs if you see somebody that has disordered eating or if you have them, and health implications you could have after having an eating disorder. And I ended it with my personal fight with disordered eating. If you have not heard this episode yet, please jump back and listen to it first, because this episode will actually go into detail on the different ways to cope and ultimately recover from this disorder. One thing I will say is that most of the options that I will be talking about are 
found on multiple websites. So they're found on articles that I have researched. For that, I will link everything in the show notes so you can actually read further if you want. I say that as I truly, personally, only have a couple things that I use. And honestly, I am still in recovery, so I am learning about this just as much as you are. So for patients, and I say patients, meaning women over 40, who are still in midlife struggling with this disordered eating or eating disorders, unfortunately, death is still a grim possibility. These diseases have the highest mortality rates, yet as research shows, only 27% of sufferers seek help. Only 27%. So women over 40 need to know they are not alone in this. And as I mentioned in the first part, this is not just a teenage disorder. But however, as serious as disordered eating can become, there is still hope. Now, if this does get serious, like I said in the first part, disordered eating is not as serious as eating a disorder, but can lead to it. That is why we need it on our radar. But if it does get very serious, please seek help. So there are therapy facility centers, or you can seek out a therapist. Now, when seeking out a therapy center or a therapist, please make sure that it is centered around discussing age-related topics, such as a changing body, slower metabolism, and also discussing relationships that are further along that in our, you know, women in our forties and beyond can understand versus what a teenager can understand or relate to. A good facility that I have seen very good ratings on, it focuses towards adult women and is called Eating Recovery Center. I will put more information in the show notes if you are interested in learning more about this facility. So outside of getting help from therapy facility centers or a therapist, please seek a nutritionist as well. Seeing a nutritionist is very important for all disorders. However, this is especially most important for those who are suffering from orthorexia. As I mentioned earlier in the first part, so orthorexic have an intense fear of what they perceive as unhealthy foods. So this is where a nutritionist will come in and help this individual address that fear and will reintroduce food groups that orthorexics have cut out due to, oh, it's too unhealthy or it's bad for me, quote unquote. They will also, you know, provide a meal plan and nutritionist will be the accountability partner to sticking with the meal plan. So next of getting help. So if you, if you are not as serious as having a disorder, eating disorder and getting, needing to get therapy or getting help, you, you do have things that you can cope with. So number one of coping with a deceiving, uh, excuse me, a disordered eating is going for a walk. So this is therapeutic no matter what, no matter what you have. Uh, the reason why going for a walk is so therapeutic is it clears your mind. So say, for example, um, a lot of disordered eating and eating disorders kind of stem from stress or 
negative thoughts or, you know, something that has triggered them in their life that they have to resolve, you know, go back to, you know, their, their eating disorder and getting up and going for a walk kind of, you know, you get that fresh air, not only the, the oxygen, but also it clears the mind. And especially if you're in nature, it, it calms you down and it, you're stepping away from the stress. So that, that's number one. The other thing is yoga that you can do to cope. Uh, yoga is actually very mind body centered. So you're focusing more on your body and your mind. So this is very therapeutic as not all, but a lot of disordered eating women have a body dysmorphia as well. So sometimes when you're in tune with your body and can kind of focus and shift that focus to a, a positive aspect of your body, um, I think that will definitely help cope with some of the eating disorders. Number three uh, coping mechanism is mindful meditation. This is different from regular meditation. Mindfulness is focusing on the present moment. So it's in the here and now. So mindful meditation is focusing on your breath, focusing on your body, how your body's feeling, how the temperature in the room, you know, what you're smelling, what you're, if your eyes are open, what you're seeing, um, just focusing on all this, the senses and being mindful of what is around you. Along with the mindful meditation is mindful eating. So this could also work, not for all, but for some uh, disordered eating. Mindful eating is kind of taken along the same line of being in the present moment as you're eating. So looking at your food, and maybe if it's for binge eating, maybe like pausing a little bit, looking at your food, giving thanks for your food, and breathing in your food, not just inhaling, literally like inhaling and ingesting all of this food at once, but being mindful of what you are eating. And sometimes that gratitude does come out of what you have to eat. The other uh, coping mechanism is investing in an adult coloring book. Now, this is fun. This is something that we need to kind of go back to our... um kid-like play. You know, we, we need to play as children play. And coloring actually, again, it's a focus mechanism. It's something that we put our focus on that once we color, it's called flow. We're in that flow state and we're just focusing on the coloring. And what that happens is it, it takes that stress and it, it makes you calmer and it, it you know, kind of leaves, alleviates that stress. The other way to cope is by journaling. And this is one of my favorites. The reason being is I am very, and I think a lot of people, um, especially women, uh, have a lot of things stirring up in their mind. So we kind of build stories upon stories upon stories that stress us out. And a lot of times, you know, when they ruminate in our minds, we don't have, we don't think we have an outlet to release them. And sometimes the food is a release. So saying you're using food as a release of what's in your mind. 
Now, journaling, you're actually writing down what's in your mind. No matter, and it doesn't, it could be anything. It could be, I don't want to say scribbles, but like it could be a mess of words. But whatever is in your mind, write it out because what you put on paper um, from your mind is like a release. It's a release of getting it out of your mind. Um, not 100%, but at least it's a therapeutic way to release it. The other and last thing of way to cope is take up a new hobby. What, what have you wanted to do for a while? What did you think that you can't do? Maybe painting, photography, uh, learning a new language. So take up a new hobby. Again, this is, these are all ways to kind of, it's a distraction, a good distraction. So distracting of being mindful of creating, of stepping away from the stress that's creating all of the going back to your old ways of eating. Now, I told you a little bit about how to, where to go to get help. Some of the things about coping. Now, there's a couple of things for treatment. And this comes in the form of CBT and DBT. Now, CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, is an effective treatment for eating disorders because it helps the individual understand the interaction between the thoughts, the behaviors, feelings, and then provides the strategies to change the unhelpful thoughts and behaviors in order to improve mood and functioning. So it takes so whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, um, your whatever you're you're reacting to, and this the the therapy provides different strategies to change all of these to improve your mood and functioning. Now I have dedicated an entire episode on CBT and its therapeutic successes. So if you haven't yet, please check it out. I believe it's about two or three episodes before this. It's actually one of uh, my most popular episodes downloaded. So please check it out. You'll find a little bit more about CBT. And the other thing is DBT. So that's dialectical behavior therapy. Now, this is a type of cognitive behavior therapy, but DBT focuses more on mindfulness, communication skills, and emotion regulation. So the DBT makes three basic assumptions. First, that all things are connected. Now, what I mean about that, or what they mean about that, is that we are actually connected to our food, which is sounds weird. But we as human beings are connected to the food because we plant the seeds to make the food grow. And then there's the farmers take the food to either, um, to the grocery stores or wherever we pick up the food and we take it home. So us as humans and individuals have a say in the help and hand in our food. We're all connected as well from our mind and bodies. We're connected to our bodies. We're connected to our minds. We're connected to each other. So that's number one is that all things are connected. The second basic assumption is change is constant and inevitable. Now, I know this is hard for those who do not deal well with change. And unfortunately, unfortunately, change is inevitable. Now, I think 
we all want to change in our lives because, you know, as scary as that may be, if you are stuck somewhere for a very long time, depression can come out. Um, being stuck in a place to where you, you don't think you have an, a way out. It, it just, it makes it seem very, very hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So when you're going through an eating disorder or disordered eating, you feel stuck and you feel stagnant. You feel like there's no way out. But changing either a behavior or changing something, one thing can definitely help recover your first step to recovery. So just know that change is constant and inevitable. And the third basic assumption is opposites can be integrated to form a closer approximation of the truth. Now, this is a little harder to decipher. I really couldn't um, get further clarification on this. But what I think if I may kind of like, you know, put my spin on things in this is that opposites can be integrated to form a closer approximation of the truth. It's like a yin and yang. It's like you need opposite of um, what you're either feeling or doing to kind of balance you out. So um, yeah, that's what I have for that one. The end result for the DBT is really for that therapist to resolve the apparent conflict between self-acceptance and change. So the DBT really has to deal with the changing of the behaviors. So those are the two treatments that could definitely help disordered eating recovery. The third, sorry, the fourth thing actually is not really talked about a lot. And I really categorize this as the other. And the reason being is because it's health coaching. Now, health coaches for those with eating disorders can be another ally to recovery. It is definitely very important to have the assistance during everyday living in order for a successful recovery. So the role of this health coach in this situation would not only to be work, working in tandem with the doctor, but also offering the client or the patient more personal personalized service. And this is ongoing tech support. So if somebody is having a hard time, um, you know, they text their coach and the coach will talk them through it. The other thing is assisting with meals. So say if they have a uh, question about what the nutritionist has prescribed to them or has given them, the health coach can definitely kind of go through of what the nutritionist is looking for. But in addition to that, can also see where the where the challenges lie with the, the the patient. The health coach will also help with the grocery and clothes shopping. Now this is uh, this is personal, so again, it's you know individual uh, patient or client. So definitely going to the grocery store, going through and educating about the different aisles and different things in a grocery store. And the other thing is clothes shopping. So a lot of people are anorexics have um, difficulties of clothes shopping when they finally gain the weight. 
And it's just because it was... double zero or, you know, whatever size they are and see it as, you know, oh my God, I'm fat, you know? So it's kind of a hard thing to do on your own. So a health coach will be there to assist and help with that clothes shopping. Again, this is a little bit individualized, but they can also attend social functions. So say, for example, if, um, you're going out to eat or going to certain events and there's food, uh, this health coach can be their partner in going to these functions and be an accountability partner at this point. Not just telling them what to eat or what not to eat, but just kind of guiding them of how they feel, what they're feeling, and kind of being that backup support. And the other thing is, you know, spending time, and again, this is individualized because I don't know a lot of people who would do this, but some patients have said it was okay to spend time in that client's home if needed during a transition from inpatient to residential treatment. So again, if this is very serious and you're coming from a a facility center and you're going home, that transition from a facility center where you're being watched or overlooked, or you have, again, accountability partners, and then going into an environment that is could be triggering, sometimes you still want that accountability partner and that, that um, backup with you until you can safely transition yourself. So the coach can also help co-create a plan that goes along with that doctor's protocol. And they can co-create it that will be sustainable and provide that accountability, again, like I said, that the client needs. In essence, a coach, in this case, can provide what the licensed treatment professional cannot due to time constraints. So again, a health coach is, is that liaison. Sometimes, a lot of times actually, professionals or licensed treatment professionals don't always have that time to dedicate to that that one-on-one um, rapport. So a lot of times the health coach will be there and they'll build that rapport, they'll build that safety net to where that client and patient can feel safe and can feel like they're in good hands and they can do it. So What I wanted to kind of say about the health coaching is starting in the next year, I will be launching my health coaching services to help women over 40 who suffer from health implications due to disordered eating. So not somebody specifically at this point, really, not somebody who is dealing with the disordered eating, but somebody who has the implications, the health implications, some of them that I mentioned in the first part, that I could definitely be of support for. Um, I will definitely offer more information in the next couple months once I get everything together. But for now, I just want to let you ladies know that I will be putting this out there, that I am starting to launch the health coaching services, uh, I'd say in the next, probably beginning of the next year. So that is it for today. Again, this is a little short, but I just wanted to kind of do this part two as more of a 
how to seek help, how to get help, how, you know, coping with this disordered eating that again, so many women over 40 do endure, but not a lot of women seek help for it. And I do hope that this change, I definitely hope that part one and part two has resonated with you or somebody that you know has a disordered eating that could get into eating disorder. So if you do, uh, I do ask that you share this with them. And I also ask that you subscribe to either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You could definitely get more information on not just disordered eating, but other things have to do with functional medicine, um, you know, health and well-being. So, and that's for women over 40. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. And again, if this resonated with you, please do share. Tag me on social media. I'll give you the links in the show notes. And also leave a rating. Yes, please. <laughs> leave a rating and just let me know what you think about this podcast because that will help me get more better information out there for you ladies and also for this podcast last. I definitely want to be an advocate for us women over 40 in this health and wellness space and I hope that you will be along for the ride as well. So thank you again and as always you are worth it. <laughs>